Hello, this is Tammy Lenski, and I have just a quick note for you. The podcast is now named Disagree Better. If you believe someone is aggressive, could they behave more aggressively with you than with others? If someone believes you're a hostile person, are you likely to act more hostile when you interact with them? It's called behavioral confirmation. And if you're interested in your own or others' conflict behavior, it's worth understanding. Hello, this is Tammy Lenski, and welcome to The Space Between, a podcast about getting better results from our most difficult and important conversations. The Space Between refers to the figurative terrain between them and us, between where we are and where we want to be, maybe even between who we are and who we want to be when we're in a difficult conversation. And this episode is How Behavioral Confirmation Influences the Way People Act During Conflict. A man gets on an elevator with his dog. At the next floor, a second man gets on the elevator, scowls at the dog, and says angrily, Dogs don't belong in this building. The dog growls at the man. Several floors later, the annoyed man exits the elevator, and a third man gets on. He smiles at the dog and says enthusiastically, You are such a cute fellow. The dog wags his tail happily at the man. So where does the problem lie? Is the dog a difficult dog? Psychologist Jeffrey Kotler said, you cannot look at a person who seems difficult to you without also looking at yourself. We can easily see in the elevator story that the problem lies not with the dog alone, but also with the annoyed man. And it's no different with humans, as it turns out. A classic social psychology experiment replicated and expanded upon over the years demonstrated that our expectations of others can cause them to behave in ways that confirm those expectations. In the late 70s, University of Minnesota researchers had a hunch that people sense how others view them and start exhibiting the expected behaviors. To test their hunch, they decided to investigate the way stereotypes about appearance affect a person's perceptions of sociability, intelligence, and the like. The researchers arranged conversations between male and female university students. The pairs of students could not see each other, and before the conversation, researchers gave each male student two pieces of information, biographical information and a photo of the woman they would be talking to. The bios were accurate, but the photos were fake. Half the men were given the photo of a woman who had been rated as very attractive by others. The other half, the photo of a woman rated as not very attractive. The conversations were recorded. Later, university students who were not part of the conversations listened to the female portion of the recordings, assessing the voices on animation, enthusiasm, enjoyment, and so on. You already suspect where this is going, don't you? In conversations with men who believed they were talking to an attractive woman, the women tended to exhibit more behaviors stereotypically attributed to attractiveness. They were viewed as more socially adept, humorous, and poised. And in conversations with men who believed they were talking to an unattractive woman, the women tended to come off as more awkward, serious, and unsociable. Now remember, the photo the men had was not of the woman on the other end of the phone line, and the women knew nothing about what was going on. Neither did the independent observers who listened to the women's voices later. 
the researchers concluded that the women had subconsciously picked up on the impressions the men had of them and inadvertently confirmed the stereotype projected on them. Whoa. The research has since been replicated using racial, gender, and weight stereotypes, loneliness, and even anticipation of hostility. In the latter study, when participants interacted with people who expected them to be hostile, they displayed greater hostility than those who were expected not to be hostile. One of the original researchers, Mark Snyder, coined the term behavioral confirmation to describe the effect that behavioral expectations have on actual behavior. It seems to happen in four stages. One, the perceiver adopts a belief about the target, that's the recipient of the belief. Two, the perceiver then treats the target according to the belief, perhaps subconsciously. Three, the target picks up on cues in the perceiver's words and attitude and subconsciously modifies their own behavior. And four, the perceiver then uses the target's behavior as confirmation of their belief. From behavioral confirmation to emotional contagion and neural coupling, what's beginning to emerge from research is a fuller picture of the ways we influence someone else's behavior, not just by what we do and say, but also by things like our beliefs and our moods. How can you use this? Well, a powerful takeaway from research like this is recognition that the conflict behavior we dislike in someone is not simply a matter of their own flaws. We are a factor. When we decide someone is difficult, our own belief about them may well be contributing to their difficult behavior. You know, this isn't just a mind-blowing truth about the complexity of human behavior. It's also one that gives us greater agency, the sense that our own voluntary action can actually produce an effect. Before we knew about behavioral confirmation, when we experienced someone's conflict behavior as difficult, we had four general options. Persuade them to change their behavior, wrangle them into different behavior, avoid interacting with them, or ignore or learn to live with the behavior. Now we have a fifth option, and it might be the most powerful one of all adopt a different belief about them. We can just decide to do that. I'm not saying it's easy, but we have the power to decide for ourselves. Now, a couple of special notes for professional mediators. One, my fellow mediators are often surprised and sometimes downright aghast that I don't set mediation ground rules at the start of my sessions. How on earth, they ask, do you get people to behave well? Some don't like my answer very much. I just expect them to. Most of the time, that's enough. And the concept of behavioral confirmation is why that's the case. And note two, if you've followed my work for any length of time, you know that I have very strong feelings about treating clients as somehow less than or broken, calling them high conflict, for example. When you find your thoughts turning to pet diagnoses, when someone is acting in a way you find frustrating in the mediation room, remember this. You may just be helping create some of the very conflict behavior you're trying to address. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been enjoying this free podcast, will you help spread the word? It's really easy. Just text or email one person to tell them you enjoy this podcast and think they might too. 
The URL to give them is thespacebetween.fm. You can find past episodes at that same URL, thespacebetween.fm. Transcripts of podcast episodes are available at no cost to my subscribers who receive an email each time one is available. Visit tammylensky.com slash subscribe. That's T-A-M-M-Y-L-E-N is in negotiation, S-K-I.com slash subscribe.